0: You will stand on your feet and turn your Bibles to Second Corinthians, Chapter Two, verses fourteen through sixteen. When you have it, say Amen. be reading out of the NIV translation, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 16, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ, and among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, to the one we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. The title of the lesson is The Aroma of Christ. The Aroma of Christ. Let me see the hands of all those who put on some perfume or cologne this morning. Oh, wow. Amen. This is going to be fun. Amen. Perfume and cologne seems to be important to a lot of folks. Amen. Everybody got to have their smell goods. Amen. That's good for the person who's sitting right next to you, right? Amen. Amen. It's reported that the perfume industry sales, their average annual sales, are roughly between 25 and $30 billion a year. And that's in the economic downfall, that's, that's now, that's current, that's a lot of money, and it's just a testament to how important, and an emphasis people put on smelling good, amen, if it ain't perfume or cologne, it's lotion, or uh, whatever it may be, uh, my daughter Jasmine, she gets all these lotions, and lotions up, and, and everything, and everybody, you want to smell good, Statistics reveal that 83% of American women wear perfume on occasion. I don't have the figure for men, but I know we get our cologne and everything as well. We even see today, many of today's stars market their own cologne, their own perfume. Because when they do, many people tend to buy their their products, thinking that they are gonna smell like J. Lo or P. Diddy or somebody. Is that who you wanna smell like? Amen. This morning, many of you went through your normal routines, you got your, 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 you laid your clothes out, and for the men, you put the crease in your pants and got everything straight, you took a shower, amen? amen. You uh, did your hair or cut what little of it that you had and, amen? Gotta represent for us ballless guys. You brushed your teeth, put on lotions and perfumes and colognes, all this in an effort So that you would smell good, but also that others would recognize that, amen? And so it's it's just something about smelling good that makes a person feel good, that makes you feel comfortable. Uh, After you've had a nice shower, or whatever it may be, or putting on perfume, you feel like you're on the top of the world when you smell good. The fact is, we not only want to smell good to ourselves, but we want to smell good, again, to those that are around us. Your aroma can also have a lasting impression on others. I've walked by people didn't know anything about them, didn't know their name, and I'd be like, man, they smell good. What are they wearing? That's good, you know, so it can leave us a lasting impression. Some smells are good and some smells are bad. Just the smell of something, you'd be like, oh, that's bringing back some bad memories. (laughs) A particular fragrance can certainly stir up some memories. While our bodily odor may give an indication of how clean we are physically, it gives no indication of what our spiritual condition is. And we see, we spend a lot of emphasis, a lot of time on smelling good and smelling good before other folks, but uh, our bodily image gives no indication of how we smell or how, what our spiritual condition is. There are many people who smell so good to us, but they are a horrible stench to God. And that should be our goal, is what do we smell like before God? There are some people who don't smell good to us, but they are a pleasing aroma to God. Smell good before God, and that's what counts. What do you smell like to God and those around you? Are you the aroma of death, or are you the aroma of life? As Paul was speaking to the Corinthian church here, he masterfully chose to do so through the image of a triumphal procession. And they knew and they understood where he was coming from, where he was going with, with this triumphal procession. It's something that they could relate to. Kind of think of it as your modern-day ticker tape parade. All the bells and whistles, kind of like when soldiers used to come back from a, a, a victory, and they would have these, these ticker tape parades for the soldiers. Kind of think of it along those lines. At the time in which Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, to the church in Corinth, they were still a Roman colony. And so they, again, they understood what Paul was talking about with this Roman procession. For when the Roman forces captured enemies and when they captured a region, there would be a processional parade with crowds of people in the region lining the streets. And again, Paul uses this analogy to kind of speak to the hearts of those in in this letter. And and the procession that the Romans would hold, it was held in honor of the commander who brought the victory. It wasn't for everybody. There were people in the parade or the procession, but it was specifically for the commander who brought the victory. And so in this procession, you would have some that were defeated, you would have the defeated, and you would have the captured soldiers of that region in this procession with you. Now, that was a messed up parade, right? I mean, you got those who are happy and victorious, and then you got some that are captured, those that are defeated, being mocked in front of everybody. Some of the requirements of this procession, one, the object, of the procession, uh, whoever the the procession was had to be centered on the one who had brought the victory. If the commander wasn't in the procession, you could not have the procession. Okay, so the commander, first of all, had to be in this procession. It had to to be centered on the commander. Second, the war had to be finished. Somebody gets what I'm saying here. The war had to be over with. You couldn't still be fighting a battle and have the procession. So when they had the procession, when the Roman soldiers had a procession, the war was done with. Second of, a a third, there had to have been a certain number of enemies that were captured or killed, per se. They say the number was 5,000 enemies had to have been killed in the campaign. So the campaign, the procession had to be centered on the commander, first of all. Second of all, the victory had to be been over with. Third, there had to be a certain number that would defeat it. And also in this procession, you had the pagan priest of Rome. They would have these incense. And they would be burning these incense in this procession. Now, this is, this, is, this is the huge part of it. They would be burning these incense. To the Romans, that smelled good. Because it was a sign. It was a symbol. It was acknowledgment that they had won the victory. But to the defeated, that was a horrible smell. That was the last thing they wanted to smell because it it indicated that they had lost the war and that it was sudden death for them. It kind of reminded me of when I went to see a game with Tennessee and Louisville play years back. It wasn't the smell, it was just the sound of something. It was When we went to see Tennessee play, that's when Louisville was up and coming and we thought we were really doing good, and we went down to play Tennessee because Tennessee was, was, you know, they were ranked, they were really good, and so we were going to really understand where we stood. And Tennessee, after every touchdown, they played Rocky Top. And after, I, I got so sick and tired of hearing Rocky Top by the end of the game because they scored so many touchdowns. Every time you heard Rocky Top, you knew that you were on the losing end. And it's kind of like that smell with with the priest, and they had these incense, and they were in this procession, and to the Romans, again, that smelled good, but to those who were captured, it was a horrible smell. In this procession, there's a clear distinction between those who are victorious and those who are defeated. Clear distinction. The victors were free, and they had life. The defeated were in bondage and faced death. The same can be said spiritually. Amen. There is no middle ground. Make no mistake about it. Everyone in here is in that procession somewhere. You're either the victor or you are the defeated. Everyone is in this procession somewhere. So we have to ask ourselves, where are we? Are you the victor or the defeated? Are you with Christ or are you without Christ? And so those in Christ, Paul says, have the aroma of Christ. Those who have given their life to Christ have the aroma of Christ. Those without Christ have the aroma of death to God. So we can smell good to those around us, but before God, we smell like death. Smell like a corpse. And so... Paul is putting emphasis on that. Some of the characteristics we see of those who are in bondage, those who are defeated, they have not repented and turned to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, first of all. While they might profess Christ, they don't trust Christ. You see many people, there are folks who wear crosses and have tattoos of crosses and don these things, but is their life indicative of that which they have on? If I went up to someone who had that on and I said, what church do you go to? And they asked me and said, well, what do you mean what church I go to? Well, I saw you got the cross on. That should be an indication that you are in fellowship. You are in the body somewhere. You are serving and ministering to God. Some of the other characteristics we see of those who are defeated for it, one, they live for themselves. And the things this world has to offer, driven by the world and the world's pleasures. No fear or reverence of God. There is no thought of God's displeasure, only looking to fulfill their pleasure with worldly treasure. They are slaves to sin rather than slaves to righteousness. John said they have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These are some of the things that define those who are defeated. The question is how many people here are in bondage today? How many here are in bondage to sin? Sin of lust, or sin of self centeredness, or sin of gossip, or sin of laziness. Paul said, Nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross and change your status in this procession from one of defeat to one of victory. Now, the good news again, in this procession, the Romans would have the defeated, and it was sudden, it was going to be death for those who were in this procession. But the commander in this procession, in God's procession, in the procession of Christ, looks to bring life and not death. And so that's the ultimate goal. He wants to give you life. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, wants to give life instead of death. Freedom instead of bondage. Not just any life, but life more abundantly. Those in Christ are victorious. Amen? We are victorious. We're not notorious. We're victorious. The procession is one of victory because through Christ we are victorious over death. He gave us death by his penalty, but the, the price he paid on the cross. So in Christ there is no defeat. We are not defeated. For this reason Paul said that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. What shall separate us from the love of God? So regardless of what it is you're going through, you are still more than a conqueror. Because you are in Christ. Many people seem to be defeated. They walk around and look so defeated, so downtrodden. That they are just whooped. And Christ desires that we walk around knowing that we have the victory. That we will receive glory. That he is with us. Christ did not die on the cross so that we can be downcast and just dramatized everything. Colossians 2.15 tells us that Christ disarmed the powers and the authorities that ruled over us and made a public spectacle of them. So Christ did that just like the Roman Roman generals and the Romans would do in making a procession and, and mocking those who were defeated. Christ did the same thing by disarming the powers and the authorities and ruling over them. John talks about this victory in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has, been, that has overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ is what gives us the victory. The Greek word in that particular passage is nike, spelled N-I-K-E, which is where we get the English form of Nike, And you see all these commercials, right, that Nike has. It's supposed to symbolize that you are victorious, that you are a winner. And you see many kids and everyone sporting Nikes because that's supposed to show, hey, I'm there. I got Nikes on. But our success, our victory isn't defined by the Nike swoosh. It's defined by the cross. And sure, we're still going through some fighting. We're still going through some things here. But Warren Wiersbe says we fight not for victory, we we fight from victory. There's a difference. We're fighting from victory, not for victory. As we look at this passage again in 2 Corinthians, in verse 15 and 16, Paul says, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other fragrance of life, and who is equal to such a task. Before that, in verse 14, Paul says that Christ, that God, leads us in this triumphant procession. He actually says he always leads us. So Christ always leads us in victory. Not maybe, not sometimes. He always leads you in victory. There are times when you may look like you are being defeated, but Christ is leading you to victory. The one thing we need to make sure that we don't try to do is to lead the procession ourselves. Too often we try to lead the procession ourselves. Jesus Christ, I got this. Remember that it said that the the procession had to be centered on the commander. All the attention on the commander. And so we can't get in front and begin to try to lead the procession ourselves. And somebody said, well, how do we do that? Well, we allow Christ to be a part of our life, but we don't allow Christ to lead our life. That is how we want to lead. It's that self-imagined portrait of where we define Jesus and we don't want to give our life completely to Christ. And Christ is saying it's not enough to come to church on Sunday. It's a daily walk. And so we must be prepared to give our life to Christ. Why is it so difficult? Because change is uncomfortable for us. That's why it's difficult for us to give over our life. Christ comes into our life just like you have a house and we invite Christ in our house and say, fix this room right here. This room is messed up. An analogy of our bills being messed up. Lord, fix this right here. And Christ comes in the house and say, the whole house just needs to be torn down. Everything. No, Christ, I don't, I don't want you to tear down the whole house. I just want this room to be tended to. But when Christ comes into our life, he chooses to, he wants to make us new again, not just to renovate things. He wants to make us new again, out with the old, in with the new. So when we accept Christ into our life, be prepared for Christ to just turn your life upside down. That he may get the glory. Sure, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to love someone you never liked. It's uncomfortable to give when when you've only been used to receiving things. It's uncomfortable to uh, break out of the routine of self-indulgence where everything just centers upon us. But our advantage is to live for Christ and not for us. That's for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. It's, It's amazing to know that there is no better fragrance than the aroma of Christ to God. Because of the price that was paid on the cross. Christ is a pleasing aroma because he lived a sinless life, a righteous life, a result of being a perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would have that uh, when they offered the sacrifices and God would look for that to be a pleasing aroma when they would choose the animals. And the animals had to be spotless. It had to be without blemish. And it was a pleasing aroma aroma, as they burned the sacrifice. It was a pleasing aroma to God. And that's the same that we see with Jesus Christ when he gave his life on the cross. So this aroma or this fragrance that we're talking about here is the knowledge of Christ. It's the the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of Christ. There's there's only one way you can obtain this, this sacrifice or you can obtain this aroma. Only one way. You have to give your life to Jesus Christ. You have to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can have this pleasing aroma. And when we do this, God no longer smells our dead bodies, but he smells the life that Christ lived, the righteousness that Christ lived. So the question, not only does Well, not only does God lead us in this beautiful procession of victory, but it says that through us, he spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So just as those pagan priests, you remember, they would have those incense and they would be burning those incense. God is using us through us that there would be a pleasing aroma. And through us, he spread spreads everywhere the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how effective are we at spreading everywhere this fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's the question. If we are in Christ, we have given our life to Christ. How effective are we at at allowing God to use us to spread this fragrance? Do others around us smell the fragrance of Jesus Christ? Or do they smell just our fragrance? That's the question. There should be something peculiar about you and me. So much so that those who are being saved and those who are perishing should see it. Scripture clearly gives us some ways in which we can be used to spread this fragrance around. It's not an exhaustive list, but there are three things that I want to focus on that we can look at on how to spread this aroma further. Once we are in Christ, how do we spread it? Now, again, let us not make the mistake of thinking we can obtain the aroma of Christ by working for it. You can't work for this aroma. It's only by the grace of God, through our, through our accepting of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we have this aroma. So there's nothing that you and I can do to obtain this fragrance by works. The, num- the first thing we do is we can share the gospel, the good news. Sharing of the gospel story, the salvation of Christ with others. How often do you or do I share the good news to those who don't know Jesus Christ? Are you being used by God to to spread his knowledge? And that can be through just testifying about what God is doing in your life. Or just sharing again the gospel story, just letting them know what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them. And we have so many opportunities to share the gospel, to spread the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but I'm afraid we don't take advantage of it. And if God has truly been good to you, which I'm sure he has, someone else should know how God has blessed you. We should be looking for opportunities to spread the fragrance, whether it's at the gym or at school or at work, at the hair salon, amen, at the barber shop. Many opportunities that or wherever God places we should be looking to spread this aroma of Jesus Christ to my students. If you receive good grades, don't be ashamed to praise that name. If you get good grades, don't boast in yourself, but praise God for those grades. For us at work, if you're at work and performing great on the job and you got to you were commended for something, praise God. Spread that fragrance around that aroma of Jesus Christ. Christ said that if we are ashamed of him, then he will be ashamed of us before the Father. But Romans 1.16 says, I ain't ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of, the, of God for the salvation of those that believe. Amen. So let us not be ashamed to spread this fragrance, to spread the aroma of Jesus Christ. And I like what Jeremiah said. He said, but if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, His word is in me like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. He says, I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah said, if I tried to hold it in, I just can't. Because it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Does anybody here feel that way? That you just can't hold it in. Now, as we share this good news, as we spread this aroma of Jesus Christ, Paul lets us know that we should be ready to be accepted by some and rejected by others. Just be prepared for it. Ex- expect it. Kind of like what Peter said in the Sunday school lesson, right? He says, don't be surprised at the suffering that you're going to receive. So when you're rejected, don't be surprised by those who reject you whether that be on the job or even at school for those who are the students. Don't be surprised when you spread that aroma around that others are like, man, what is that smell? Because to one, it is different. To the saved, it is a pleasing aroma. But to those who are perishing, it is a, a horrible smell. So when we look at this and we look at the saved and When we are around those who are saved, they should see God's anointing on us. We should be of an encouragement to those who are in Christ. A blessing to those who are around us. Do those around us feel that? Those who are in Christ, do they feel that we are of an encouragement? That our words are a blessing? Or when we come around, they say, oh, Lord. Here comes so and so. Let us, let us praise God. Let, us, let our words be edifying to those that are around us. Paul said to Timothy, he said, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, for if you do, you will save your life and the life of those who are around you. So let us watch our life. Let us watch our doctrine, what we teach, for those that are around us, so that we may be used to, save, to help in, in saving those that are around us. Just as this aroma has a reaction on those who are being saved, it also has a reaction on those who are perishing. As we spread this gospel, as we tell others about Jesus Christ, as you go to places and you start to witness for God and you get rejected, and there are some that will look at you and be like, no, I don't need Jesus. I got this. And trust me, I've had people tell me that. I don't need him. I'm okay by myself. So everyone will not accept you. To those that are perishing, again, we are the smell of death because you are too much light for them. Darkness and light cannot coexist. Before we gave our life to Christ, we smelled just like those of the world because we had not accepted the sacrifice of Christ. But those in the world now see us as horrible at times because of what we believe, because of our faith. You've heard that saying that misery not only, uh, misery loves company, but not only does misery love company, but death and destruction loves company. Proverbs 27:20 20 says, death and destruction are never satisfied. And so those who are in death are never, we see them never satisfied. When we were of the world, they, they didn't hesitate to call you up. Now they don't want to call you up. Don't want to have anything to do with you because you acting crazy for Christ now. You make them feel uncomfortable. You ain't no fun anymore. Especially to my, my younger students, when you look at that, and we want, to, we want to try to fit in so bad. We used to be able to gossip around you, and now we can't even gossip. Can't gossip and talk about people around you anymore because all you want to talk about is forgiveness and something called grace. They say you tripping. Can't even talk, can't even listen to Jay-Z or Lil Wayne or anybody anymore because all you want to listen to is Lil Cray and and Trip Lee and these holy hip-hop gospel rappers. You know, they say, you tripping. Can't even go out and smoke a blunt or drink like we used to because they say you're getting filled with the Spirit instead. They say you're tripping. Some of us have been there. Their motto used to be, ain't nothing wrong with looking. But now you say anyone that lusts after another has committed adultery. They say you tripping. All this, they say you're tripping. Francis Chan stated that having faith often means doing what others see as crazy. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. There should be a difference. Not for the sake of being different, but because Christ was different and he's calling us to be different. He's calling us to be holy, calling us to be set apart. Are you trying to fit in or are you trying to fit Christ in? First Peter four, three through five says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And again, in, Peter says in 2 verse 12, he says, live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So they may persecute you now. They may reject you now. They may reproach you now. But on the day of coming of Christ Jesus, may they, they, they give glory to God because of your good deeds. Regardless of how others respond, you are still successful as long as you are allowing yourself to be used by God for the spreading of this aroma. It's not up to us or how others will respond. We're simply called to spread it and let God make it grow. The Sanhedrin tried to keep Peter and John from spreading this aroma in Acts chapter 4 because the gospel was spreading. It was advancing and they replied. They said, "For if we can, we for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard." They said they can't help it. Their message was: If you're going to kill us, you might as well just kill us because we can't help it. If God has done something so good for you, you can't help but to praise Him and give Him glory. Let our mindset be the same. The second thing we looked at first again, one way that we spread this aroma is by literally telling others the good news. Amen. The second reason is to imitate the love of Christ. The aroma of love. We spread this fragrance of Christ by imitating his love. Amen. Our purpose, our main purpose in life is to imitate Christ in everything we do. But it starts with his aroma of love. Paul tells us to imitate the love of Christ in Ephesians 5.1. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This love doesn't come by way of our strength, our own strength. It only comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And the more we get to know Christ, the better able we are to love others. That's why it's so important to remain in the word, to be prayed up, because the closer we get to Christ, you can't help but to be affected by be be affected by that love. As we seek to glorify God more and more, we should be able to exercise more of his love. Part of this love as part of this imitating the love of Christ. Part of it should be a sacrificial love. But one, again, has to move closer to the cross for that to happen. Sacrificial love, meaning we must live a we must be a living sacrifice, not only living for ourselves, but for Christ. The closer we are, the, the, the closer we are to the cross, the more humble we are, the more humble we are, the less concerned we are about our own selves. But the further away from the cross we are, the less we focus on Christ, the more we focus on ourselves. There can be no sacrifice without love. We see that in this passage here when if, 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 if it, spe- it speaks of Christ's love for us that led him to, a, to be a sweet-smelling sacrifice and fragrance to God. Love that will, make, well, that will not make sacrifices is not love. Love that will not make a sacrifice is not love. It says in Mark 12, 33, to love your neighbor is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the sacrifices we bring, the, our tithes and our offerings, it's, it's important for us to love. If we bring that before God and we still have no love in our heart, what credit is that to us? I can tithe all I want. If I have no love for my brother and sister, the Roma of Christ is not spread. Francis Chan talked about that crazy love. God desires that we show crazy love. He challenges our love and and wants us to radically change the way we look at love, that it's not conditional, not based on what you do to me or what you say to me or what you give me. One of the things he touches on, Francis Chan, is is that in this day and age, it is difficult to see love exercised to the degree that Christ has commanded it to be exercised. Paul was so right when he said in 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Do we spend, are we spending enough time in our word to gain more knowledge to the point that where we are just using it to build up ourselves and lift ourselves up by showing how much we know? Or are we gaining knowledge in an effort to love more in order to understand how Christ loved? So let our knowledge not puff us up, but let the love do the building. We should not be surprised if our love for those that are perishing isn't received with open arms. Everyone is not going to respond the way we want them to because we love on them. There are some folks that respond contrary to what you would expect. and You'd be like, man, that's that's not what I expected. I, I'm loving you. I'm showing my love, but you're not returning it in favor. Such was the case with Christ. The love that he showed, and many times we have not returned that back in gratitude. Because there are people who are in darkness, who are in this procession, who are dying and perishing, can't stand the light. They are perfectly content until you come around with your Holy Ghost-filled self shining light all over the place. They were, per- they were okay until you started coming and talking about the gospel, talking about loving everybody. That's uncomfortable. The third thing that we look at on ways that we spread this aroma is to give sacrificially. Paul talked about that to the church there in Philippi. He's, he said they, they graciously blessed him by sending him gifts while he was in the Roman prison. And Paul said in Philippians 4.18, he said that was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So are we sacrificially given anything for Christ? Are we given of ourselves? Are we given of our resources? A lot of times we look at it and we think it's just money, but it's not just money. Are we giving Christ our time sacrificially? Are we given of other resources sacrificially to others? this is, I have to be honest, this is probably one of the more challenging areas for Christians. It's not that we won't give, it's just that we won't always give sacrificially. To the point that it makes us uncomfortable. Sacrificial giving means you are giving of something that is of use and of benefit to you. Something that you will miss when you give money. That It's something that you will miss. You are choosing to go without so someone else may be blessed. That's what sacrificial giving is. And you can do this because you are confident that God will bless you in return. It may not always come in the form that you gave it, but you will be blessed. Matthew 6, 4 says, let, let, says let, when we give to the needy, not, not to let our left hand know what the right hand is doing. So that it will be done in secret and God in heaven will reward you. Just as Paul told them in Philippi again as a result of what they did. He said my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that church in Philippi in Macedonia they were the poorest of them all. But they still gave what they had. Because they were confident that God would bless them in return. That he would meet all their needs. And so the challenge again to us is to spread that fragrance through giving, through imitating the love of Christ, through spreading the gospel. By giving of ourselves, we spread that fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ everywhere. Some will accept it and some will not, but that's okay. Christ gave of himself, not so that we would keep the good news to ourselves, but that we would share it with others. Charles Spurgeon said that our gifts are not to be measured by the amount we contribute or the amount that we give, but by the amount left in our hands. So sometimes we measure our gifts by how much we give. Spurgeon is saying, let us measure it by how much we've got left over. When I look at it in this view, I even myself have a long way to go. Amen. God didn't hold back when it came to the plan of salvation, though. He lavishly gave of himself. He gave of his best. He gave Jesus Christ the best that he could offer. For that reason, Christ was rejected. He chose to come down from his heaven, from from his throne in heaven, and serve instead of being served. He chose to endure the wrath of God in our place showing that he would rather die than live without you. It was all for you and for me that Christ did this. Jesus was mocked and wore a crown of thorns so that you and I would smell good to the Father. Jesus suffered at the hands of those that he created so that you and I would smell good to the Father. He took 39 lashes so that you and I would smell good to the Father. He carried his own cross so that you and I would smell good to the Father. He was spit on so that you and I would smell good to the Father. He was stripped naked and hung for six hours so that you and I would smell good to the Father. Jesus was beaten and bruised so that you and I would smell good to the Father. All this, the son of God himself, something that he didn't have to do. He would not allow the legions of angels to intervene because so that we could smell good to the father. He he smelled like sweat, dirt, had blood on him so that you and I would smell good to the father. He chose to endure the wrath of God so that you and I would smell good to the father. Jesus, the son of God, was buried in a borrowed tomb among other criminals so that you and I would smell good to the father. He was crushed for you and I for that very reason. But Jesus got up. He got up so that you and I would smell good to the father. If he had just died, then it would have been of no credit to us. But he got up. Death looked like it had won it looked like it had Jesus Christ. There was a the one count, then there was a the two count, but on that third day, on that third day, he got up. And Jesus Christ said, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Everyone who has been born again smells righteous to the Father because of what Christ did. So Christ, so God does not smell but he smells the righteousness of Jesus Christ are you the aroma of Christ if you are the aroma of Christ are you spreading that aroma of Christ around so that others may know more about this risen Savior let us spread everywhere the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that others may know more about him by preaching or by teaching or telling others more about the gospel the good news by imitating the love of Jesus Christ And by giving of ourselves sacrificially as Christ gave of himself. And by doing so, I'm confident that we will spread the aroma of Jesus Christ so that others may see it. Amen? Amen. Praise God.